You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Welcome to our special episode for the new year. Welcome to a half hour of empowerment. I felt like as I was reading that intro, I should really emphasize the empowerment because I've invited on as a guest today a woman I feel has been empowering me for the last three or four months. So I got a Peloton bike about three or four months ago. You all know I'm a runner. I've been running forever, but sometimes my hips don't like it when I run and do nothing else. So I added a bike to the mix. And these days I'm down in my basement a few days a week taking a class and I've been alternating that with the running. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I can get something in, but there are still those days where I just drag. I get up. I have one cup of coffee, I have a second cup of coffee, and I still don't want to exercise. And on those days, I know what I'm going to do is go down to the basement and click on a class that Robin Arzon is teaching because the woman is allergic to excuses, as she likes to say, and she just gets me into gear (laughs) and gets me going, and I'll stick with it for the entire 45 minutes. It doesn't kill things, too, that her music is truly great. But Robin, I got to say, Kelly knows because I've been felling for a little <laughs> while. Got a little bit of a girl crush here. <laughs> and um, and I'm very happy that you agreed to come in and be on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited. So a lot of people, I think, don't know you have this incredible story. I mean, I don't know the entire thing yet. We'll learn a little more about it. But you were a lawyer doing 70, 80-hour work weeks. You gave it all up. You wrote a best-selling book. You're now working with Adidas and teaching for Peloton, and you got this whole career going in running and in fitness, and yet you went to law school. So <laughs> so just give us the background on you. Well, I— I say that I wouldn't be able to view wellness as a business if I hadn't been a lawyer first. And I think me being a practicing attorney for seven years as a corporate litigator right here in Midtown Manhattan really was instrumental in paving the way for not only having, I guess, an appetite for risk, but also an analytical way of thinking of branding and money, frankly. So that was a circuitous kind of way to arriving at where I am now. But I didn't hate law. I just loved other things a lot more. And I didn't want to live at a 50% happiness quotient any longer. So that was my departure. I think a lot of people are at that 50% happiness quotient, if not even less. So as you looked at the picture analytically, how did you decide, okay, I actually can change my life in this way? I actually can make it work financially. And then how did you go about it? 
Well, as a lawyer, I always lived below my means. I mean, I lived in a walk-up apartment, tiny in New York City, which I guess is relative, everything small in New York City. But um, I always wanted to have savings that wouldn't tie me to a mortgage or a job that I hated. So that was very important. And when I was plotting my departure, I took a real honest assessment of my skill set and kind of thought, okay, where do I want to be and how am I going to get there? And for me, um, writing and oral advocacy were the two underpinnings to my law career. And that was kind of as far as I could see at that point in terms of getting me into another career. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be a journalist. I'll be a writer. Then the confluence of social media and influencer marketing and kind of having a visual conversation and being able to monetize this new phrase of an influencer came about right around the time I was leaving law. And I quit my law job two weeks before the London Olympics and um, in 2012, not, of course, as an athlete, but as a writer. And I literally just went as a blogger with a cracked iPhone standing next to, (laughs) you know, the premier news agencies in the world and just hustling, like the definition of hustle. And I was reporting from the games, pitched a few articles. Then I ended up getting a job on the agency side working for very premier athletic brands running their social media channels. And I realized very quickly that I never wanted again to be behind the scenes telling the story of a woman in athletics. I wanted to be that story. I wanted to live that story. And that's where things all changed. I stopped accepting free shoes. (laughs) Interesting. When you stop accepting free things, um, you know, I can't eat shoes and I can't send my landlord shoes for rent. That changed. So essentially you said to the shoe companies, you've got to pay me. Absolutely. As you think about the birth of a brand, because you you actually, you've become a brand in the last five years. What would you tell people who say, yeah, I got that. I've got something that is special about me that I want to grow. I think that's fantastic. I mean, having that palpable sense that you're onto something is really important. And then it's, why are you different and what story are you telling? I think the storytelling piece, especially in this day and age where we're satu- we are saturated with narrative more than any other time. A lot of it's fragmented, but it we're saturated nonetheless. And our consumer senses have never been savvier, I think. And in that sense, the buzzword of authenticity really isn't a buzzword anymore. It's just kind of how you're aligned or not. And I believe that the best brands tell stories that make people feel something and pe- people feel something because they're real. And I have always used my gut instinct when whether or not to partner on a campaign or with a brand or anything, even do an interview. And that kind of goes with the underlying brand values that I recommend people kind of do those traditional marketing brand exercises. Like, what are the three things that you stand for? And is that that should be the through line to every single business decision, whether it's ordering pens and pencils for your office or, you know, sitting on, you know, a morning show. What makes you different in the fitness space? My point of view has always been very unapologetic. I did not grow up an athlete. I show up to 50 and 100 mile races wearing four finger gold rings, you know, red lipstick and crazy, you know, clothing. That has always kind of been my warrior aesthetic. And I've always understood that we're having a visual conversation with the world. And if you show up feeling like 
in that power pose, in that superhero moment, then you're going to act as if. Sometimes you fake it till you make it. Some Absolutely. days are better than, better than others. But my point of view has always kind of been a little untraditional in the sense that I forged myself into an athlete as an adult. Well, you were not always a runner. I mean, and I know from watching you, you wear a patch on your arm, right? You're diabetic? Yes, I'm a type 1 diabetic. So, I mean, you faced some real health struggles coming into this some people, I've been a runner since high school. I am not a runner like you are a runner. I'm a plotter, but I can I can plod for quite some time. And people have asked me in the past, okay, how do you become a runner? And my answer has always been, you run every other day for 30 days and then you're a runner. But how did you become a, a real runner? Well, I think that self-imposed moniker, I think, is a really special moment for people when they can say, I am a capital R runner. And I had... It was probably crossing the finish line of my first marathon when I was like, okay, I guess I've earned this. But I would submit that people earn it even in their first kilometer or their first mile as long as they're committing to that pair of running shoes and that footstep. I I believe that there's a process of reinvention in that self-identification. And sometimes it takes a mile. Sometimes it takes a thousand miles. But when somebody is willing to call themselves a runner, they're really paying it forward to a lot of other people in ways that they don't even realize. So, What do you uh, mean by that? I believe that every single person can be a source of inspiration to someone. And I receive a lot of wonderful messages from Peloton members and from, you know, social media followers. And they're like, wow, I can't believe you did this thing. And it's all relative. Like, I, there are people in the athletic space that I just marvel at and whether it be at their their marathon times or their ultra marathon distances or their whatever it is. But I'm also just as moved powerfully in a race by somebody who might have a disability or might be 50 years older than me. I mean, it really is relative. So I think my life's mission, I believe, is to get people to take up more space and be more of what they already are. And that unapologetic point of view is is. To go back to your earlier question, what sets me apart, I think, in the athletic space and in wellness, but it's also why I want people to wear that title of runner or whatever it is you want to, you know, I say uncheck all the boxes that have been ascribed to you previously and then create your own. And it's in that creation that people live. Absolutely. You know, we were talking before we sat down to have this conversation about how you want to take this philosophy of breaking through in the fitness and exercise space and help people use it to break through the barriers that are standing before them in all sorts of things, to really conquer their own beliefs and excuses about them. I want to come back to that in just one second, but before I do it, I want to remind everybody that conversations like these and Her Money as a Whole is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we've worked so hard for. So visit fidelity.com. You'll find more conversations like this one with Robin Arzone. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times. Whether you're getting married or divorced or starting a new career or embarking on training for a new marathon that you want to run in 2018. Again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. So how do we do that? How do we take, I know how to reach a fitness goal, 
right? Mm-hmm. I, I've run a marathon. I've run some halves. You break it down. You step by step it. How do we apply that kind of psychology to our life? Well, I think the bite-sized approach to figurative and literal finish lines is the perfect parallel to any accomplishment, whether it's in our personal life, professional life, or even just like managing, you know, your relationship with your toddler. I think um, having those specific actionable goals with a realistic timeline, I think the specificity is the biggest thing. So it's not just, I want to save money. How much? By when? For what? I want to get fit. Can you narrow that a little bit? Sometimes if you narrow the scope and narrow the timeline into something that's realistic, I believe two people have should have parallel goals, like one that shoots for the moon that's maybe six months, a year or more out, and then one that's three months or less. And then within that three-month period, break it up. Make yourself a calendar appointment, whether it's every Monday at 9 a.m. I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, or every, you know, every weekend I'm going to go and do five miles to get to that finish line. The beautiful thing about training for a marathon is that you actually have you have a rubric for success. You have a game plan. And I think what trumps people up, you know, for other kind of more uh, nebulous goals is that they don't, you don't have that literal roadmap. And I think when we break things down into bite-sized goals that are going to get us to that aha dream moment, that's when we're going to be most successful. So I think it's breaking it down literally week by week and making appointments like you are the boss of that trajectory because you are. Well, I've put exercise in my calendar. I mean, I I've, I've I've put it down so that I know that it's actually going to happen. 100%. I mean, when people are embarking on fitness goals especially, I say you are the CEO of your body. Why would you not be a boss about this moment like you are with everything else in your life? Make an appointment. You don't cancel. If you need to invest in it, book that trainer, book that accountability partner, book that class. You are your greatest investment. So, like, treat yourself like a limited edition. I so believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Let's put that on a T-shirt. All right. Let's talk about excuses because I have heard you say many times that you are allergic. It's hard to imagine that you ever made them, but I know you're not immune to them either. So tell me what's hard for you. You know, downtime is hard for me. Rest days are incredibly hard for me. I do have to talk myself into taking rest and that balance. I think one of the worst things that we are told is that balance is realistic. I actually don't believe that's true. I think that we need to prioritize our goals and then of that 100% of our time, you apportion things accordingly. You can't give 100% to everything in your life. So I think once you have that realistic assessment of not everything is going to get 100%, you prioritize and take it from there. I That said, I do believe that balance is important. Downtime is, I'm not very good at it. And I do make excuses for myself in terms of, I'm a very driven person and I don't always appreciate when I reach those moments of confidence and success. I'm always on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes against what I tell people to do, which is like marinate in the endorphins, appreciate what you've got. Like you did this, like you should walk around, like there's a parade for you out there today. And I don't necessarily do that. So in that respect... I need to take a little bit more of my own advice and kind of be more mindful, which is something that I work on, you know, through meditation and other sort of modalities. I'm definitely, that's definitely a work in progress. I think a lot of our listeners are just like that. I mean, we are, at least as I envision it, a sea of type A women. Yep. And and not, by the way, the negative kind of type A women, but ambitious, go-getting, deadline-driven women. And it's hard to take a step back and say, whoa, I did something great. It's it's hard to praise yourself at all. 
Yeah, and I think the balance between, I mean, I love a bold, sassy woman and that kind of confidence to say, not only did I do it, but I'm going to chill in that achievement for a little bit. That second piece of it of like, I'm going to live in this moment for a second is actually, I think, braver sometimes than, than accomplishing the goal itself. Because it is that uncomfortable space of almost like you feel a little bit of inertia. Mm-hmm. And it's in that inertia, actually, that you grow. I mean, literally, if you're t- thinking on a cellular level, that's when your muscles repair. That's when your you know, your your mitochondria, you know, builds. And that those moments are really important. And in taking up space, it's okay to, like, sit down and take up space sometimes. <laughs> what is your financial take on all of this? I mean, as you have built yourself up as a brand and as a small business, it's not as easy as having a law firm or any other big employer handling the benefits plan and the 401k and the health insurance. I mean, you are an enterprise. How are you handling that? That was definitely, I've made some really, really boneheaded mistakes since, since leaving law, but I learned and I learned quickly. My biggest takeaway is to know your worth and then add tax. Like, that is 100% what I would tell people, whether they are freelancers, entrepreneurs, business owners, stay-at-home parents, know your worth and then add tax. And that that idea of your innate value, I mean, time is our biggest commodity. And I also believe that energy is currency. And and we have to think about how we're spending, not just what's in our bank account uh, or, you know, what our bank statement says, but how we're spending our energy, how we're spending our time, who we're spending it with, learn the power of no. I mean, these are things that I really had to learn in knowing and knowing how to scale. So for me as as an individual brand, it was knowing how to scale projects and partnerships and understanding that I only have 24 hours a day. So, you know, I have a full-time assistant. I'm growing my team, definitely getting financial advice on on investments and kind of relearning securities law and things like that in terms of equity packages and and really just thinking about how I want to feel in my security 10 or 20 years from now, like that doesn't live in a handbag or some lavish dinner. Like I believe in treating yourself, but I think um, in long term with respect to health, wellness and finance, you have to really think about how you're going to want to feel. And I want to feel secure and badass. Absolutely. What is up for you for 2018? What are we going to see? I am going to start working on my second book. I will continue to grow and expand the Peloton team. We have really exciting things coming in 2018. And um, continuing my own training, you know, like part of my love of fitness was born in picking up finish lines like souvenirs. And I'm going to continue doing that and aiming to get faster and stronger. And I love knowing that that process of reinvention can mean that at any point we're just getting started. And there's a real beauty in that. Well, for anybody who hasn't read the first one, it's called Shut Up and Run. You can find it on Amazon and anywhere else books are sold. And where can we find you if we want to connect? I'm Robin NYC on social media. And, of course, you can find me on the Peloton platforms. (laughs) So I'd love to see riders there. Thank you. Thanks for coming in and giving us a little bit of a kick in the butt. (laughs) Thank you. Kelly has joined me in the studio. Hi, everyone. 
Looking forward to New Year's Eve. I am. What are you doing? I'm going to be in Kauai with my family. Oh, my goodness. I was in Hawaii. Not Kauai, Mm -hmm. but Maui one New Year's Eve. It was really special. My mom called me yesterday, and she's like, I found where they're doing fireworks, so we're going to watch fireworks from the beach. I'm going to be in bed before midnight, probably. I'm so excited. That sounds great. Yeah, just to relax and spend some quality time with them because as I'm getting older and we're all busy, you don't get those opportunities anymore. No. And also, shout out to my dad. He's going to be 60 on January 2nd. Oh, my goodness. Happy birthday. No, it's a big one. He's approaching it, I think, pretty excited about it, actually. Really? He has a really good attitude. That's everything. I know. As Robin would say, right? When I told Kelly that I wanted to book Robin for this show, she looked at me a little strangely. <laughs> well, I wasn't, I didn't know. And now I know. Like, after just 30 minutes with her, I have a girl crush on her. I'm feeling uber inspired. I feel like I can go do anything I want, even run a mile, which I didn't feel confident about before, but not even just exercise related. No, that's the the confidence piece. It's just this empowerment piece, which is what our show is about. It's at the core of our show. I'm going to really take that know your worth, then add tax. Yes, love then that. Then add tax, it's right? It's perfect. And then also my favorite moment, which going back to this whole relaxing in Hawaii thing, inertia, stopping and pausing and acknowledging your successes, that's when the growth actually occurs. Well, do you remember when we had, we've done a couple of sleep shows, but we also had um, Mike Roizen on to talk about age proof. Yes. And stem sh- Stem cells, I believe, and I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on this, but I do believe that a lot of this restorative process happens during sleep. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why we don't just need to be still, Mm -hmm. lie like vegetables, like Julia Roberts said in Pretty Woman. We need to to sleep as well. We need to sleep, we need to slow down, and we need to take ownership over all the amazing things that we do. Absolutely. And with that said, what kind of questions do we have? Our first question is from Lindsay. She writes, I'm 25, and I recently decided to quit my job at a small business and go into coaching full-time. I worked at this particular office for 11 months and was contributing to a 401k. I also have a Roth IRA that I schedule monthly payments to max out. My question is, what should I do now with the money in the 401k? I'm working for a school and club team and then coaching goalies and running clinics through my own company. So no 401k is there to roll it into. Would love to hear your thoughts. I'd roll it into an IRA where you have your Roth IRA. And the reason for doing that is you can't roll directly from a 401k to a Roth IRA. She could roll from a 401k to an IRA and then convert those IRA assets into Roth assets, but she would have to pay taxes on them. For now, I think for administrative ease, just get it all in one place so that when you sign on, you can see it all. That'll help you make sure that you're diversified. If you want to put it in a target date fund, you can likely put it in the same target date fund and keep making those Roth contributions while you're working for yourself. And if you find you can do more, open a SEP IRA, which allows you to put in more money. And congratulations on the move, Lindsay. It sounds like you're doing a bunch of exciting things. Absolutely. Including your own business. Next one from Grace. After my mom had a stroke, I became her caregiver and POA. What is POA? Power of attorney. Ah, 
I am an authorized user on her credit card and was added to her checking account so I can pay her bills and buy supplies. She also has a separate joint checking account with my father who has a lot of debt. If she were to pass, would I be liable for any of her debt or any of my father's debt? Their home is paid for. Thank you. Um, I don't believe so because you're not a joint account holder on those accounts with your father. But I'd check with a lawyer. These are important questions as you go through your parents' assets, as you think about the process, if your mother needs extensive care of qualifying her for Medicaid. It's a good idea to get a lawyer's opinion as you move into this. Thank you, Grace. And we'll do one more from Jillian. Oh, and I'm sorry, by the way, about what you're going through Mm -hmm. with your parents. I mean, this is not easy stuff. We just had a whole day that we spent looking at caregiving issues at the AARP Family Caregiving Summit, and it's completely draining. So thank you for what you're doing for your mom, and lots of luck. And we'll do one more from Jillian. Hi, Jean. I have a question. Is it more important to have an emergency fund or pay down debt? I am 36 years old, married, no kids, and we currently have zero emergency funds. She put zero in all caps. And I have about $20,000 in credit card debt spread out over three cards, interest rates from 12 to 16%. I have been trying to pay more towards the credit card debt, on average an extra 600 per month towards the higher interest rate card, but I'm worried that we have no emergency fund. If something did happen, I would just have to increase our credit card debt to cover it. I'm thinking I'm answering my own question here, but should I start saving more towards an emergency fund and just try to pay a little over the minimum payments on my cards? Sorry for the long-winded question. Thank you for your help. You absolutely did answer your own question there. (laughs) To some degree. Here's how I would do it. First, if you've got a good credit score, and it's really possible that you have a very good credit score despite the fact that you have all this credit card debt, you may be able to lower the interest rates on your cards by doing some balance transfers. Just make sure that the balance transfer fees, if you incur any, will be washed away by the amount of money that you'll save on the interest. They may be because there are a lot of balance transfer offers down there in the low single digits. So I would look at that absolutely first. But then, yeah, I wouldn't save for a full-blown three- to six-month emergency cushion. What I'd do is make sure that you've got a few thousand dollars set aside that could handle any of those emergencies that you might then have to turn and put on your credit card if you don't have them, which means that you can quite possibly continue to throw a decent amount of additional money over the minimum payments toward the credit card. You said you're paying about $600 extra on average. I would split it, pay $300 more on the credit cards to start, pay $300 toward the emergency cushion, continue to do that for 10 months, get the emergency cushion where it needs to be, and then revert to throwing all your extra cash toward the credit cards. Thank you, Jillian, and thank you to everyone for your questions. And thank you to everyone in general. Mm -hmm. For our Thrive segment today, Kelly and I decided that we just want to thank you. Um, We want to thank you for going on this ride with us. We want to thank you for your feedback and for asking all your questions. We want to thank you for 
being open and willing to have this dialogue with us on a weekly basis. It's really, really important that we all get a grip on our money so that we can have a better grip on our lives. That's why we show up here every week. It it helps us learn the things that we need to know to improve our own lives, and I hope that it helps you as well. Want to add anything there, Cal? Absolutely. I feel like we've created this really wonderful community, and I'm really excited for 2018 and what's to come. We have a lot of exciting things in the works we for do. everyone. And that's how I view this is like one big girlfriend group, and maybe some men are in there too. You're welcome to the party, but. I just, I love you all so much, and it makes me so happy to receive emails, tweets, messages, Instagram messages, like anything from you guys, like, makes my day. So thank you so much for making this show for us, because it is you who make the show. Could not have said it any better, and let me just pile my love right in there with Kelly's. (laughs) And also... We have a lot of love for the people that help us put this show Mm -hmm. on every single week. So we want to thank Charles de Montebello and his crack team here at CDM Studios. We want to thank Beth O'Connell, who produced this show for a long time, helped us get it going. The folks at PRX, John and Maggie, thank you for helping us distribute the show, get it out there, market it. And we want to thank our wonderful sponsors at Fidelity. We could not do this without you. And that is Alexandra and Kelly and Kristen, Melissa, Colleen, Carrie, Martha. I hope I didn't forget anybody. We just love spending time with you and working on these projects. And finally, to my team, who gets me out of bed every single day and puts a smile on my face as I head to work. Kelly, thank you. Big thank you, big hug to Hayden. We're expanding our team as we head into 2018. We are. And we are very excited for that. So, And I'm going to interject. I will thank you on behalf of everyone who's listening, everyone we work with. Thank you for everything that you do for this show. Uh, well, I, it is, it's a pleasure. You know this is one of my favorite things that I do all week. So totally love it. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk soon.